You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Back in 2006, I was 25, recently married, still in grad school, and in no position to travel. My life was so new, but very much the same. I lived in the city I grew up in, without prospect of traveling, food and TV were escapes. Around that same time, No Reservations was starting its second year. I remember immediately falling in love with the show and connecting with Anthony Bourdain. I didn't, I definitely didn't connect based on shared experience, but more on experiences I wanted to share. His style of travel, part adventure, part anthropology, part curious tourist, was ideal to me. His ability to connect with others on screen was inspiring. From gatherers to President Obama, Bourdain would learn from everyone who crossed his path. His passing on June 8th, 2018 hit me hard. Bourdain was more than a chef and a TV host. He was an entry point to culture. His books gave voice to those who may have felt like outcasts. His TV shows were thoughtful, enlightening, and never exploited the people he visited. The culinary world and the entire planet lost an incredible human being. Anthony Bourdain, you will be missed. Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com. Like Herd Podcast on Facebook and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. If you can't seem to stay ahead of your bills, then this message is for you. How would you like to have a large portion of your credit card debts, medical bills, and department store debt forgiven? National Credit Card Relief would like to give you free information on a proven debt forgiveness program. This program has been used by thousands to legally forgive millions in unsecured debt. It's not bankruptcy. It's not consolidation. This special program actually wipes clean a portion of your debt that is forgiven from what you owe your creditors. Call for free information and to get all your questions answered in the first free call. The more you owe, the more you can save. If you have at least $10,000 or more in credit card bills, this debt forgiveness program can be very effective. Call for free information and find out more now. 800-218-7170. There is no cost or obligation for the information. Don't wait. Call 800-218-7170. That's 800-218-7170. Get your debt problems solved. Call 800 800- 218-7170 today. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Vato. I'm back. And the founder of Break the Weight, Ricky Friedman. Hello. Hi, Ricky. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Okay. So a couple news items, a couple crazy things that have happened recently. Um, I had an article shared with me today about a gentleman who... This is, this is kind of gross, it's to warn you. Um, had his foot amputated and decided that he was going to... Oh, the taco store. Yeah. Oh. He, 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 took, he, asked to have the, the, he asked to take his foot home 
<laughs> and, and and hospitals, I guess, are okay with if you lose an uh, an appendage, they're okay with you taking it home because it's yours. You can pickle it. What are they going to do with it? Hmm. I, Interesting. And, and so he decided that he was going to uh, cook it up and feed it to his friends. As a joke? I, I don't know if it was a joke. I have no idea. I, I I honestly didn't read the article. I don't know if he told them that. And I doubt he did. They do with a bottle of nice candy. Did they get sick? Well, so the, the funny, the not the funny thing, but the interesting thing that I, no, it's I, funny. I, 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 I it was literally uh, foot to mouth disease. But <laughs> <laughs> they got. So I, I, cannibalism isn't illegal in any state except Idaho. It's perfectly legal to eat a human being. Wow. Wow. Good yeah. to know. Idaho, I, I mean, Idahoans. Idahoans. <laughs> I, didn't. Uh, I, I don't. So here's the weird thing, right? So I have this <laughs> weird obsession with serial killers, and um, so do I. You do? Okay. I love that stuff. So I took a course years ago at Wayne State, and like you know, it was a sociology course, and it was fa- fascinating. And thinking back, no one has ever been uh, because it's not illegal. No one has ever been charged with cannibalism. It's just not a thing. No. It's so weird. Well, I mean, it's. It is weird. All right. Yeah, no, weird. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, I had nothing to come back with. Then, yeah, it is weird. It, it's it's a strange kind of story. Unless um, you're, you know, your plane crashes and you're like a ski team or right. whatever it was that you know, and then you got to start eating uh, each other, eating each other to survive. That's a movie, right? It's based on a true story. Alive. Right. It's probably a book first. Sounds alive. like Grey's yeah, Anatomy. Alive. What's that? <laughs> nothing. Have, it happened in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> like kind of, they didn't eat each other. Oh, okay. But they were like very close. Oh, okay. So the, okay, it's like the brink of like mm-hmm. having to do that. But like you know. What? They found them. What? Oh, okay. Mictory and me saved everyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he always saves everyone. <laughs> Welcome to your food, beverage, and hospitality. <laughs> so, and then also, um, International House of Pancakes oh my God. That... is now International House of Burgers. Burgers. And what? It, you would have thought the B would be for breakfast, right? Well, you think. But or it wasn't. Brunch would have been good, too. Brunch. Right. Yep. International House of Brunch. Yeah, but they, they went burgers. Um, Did I, you see the memes from like... Burger King and Wendy's, and, uh, those are the best. Well, Wendy's has the best Twitter account of any. They do. They just have a fantastic Twitter account. If you don't follow Wendy's, follow <laughs> at Wendy's on Twitter. There's probably um, some 22 year old who's just like, I got this. Having a great time. <laughs> and, and it's, it's, I, I think the tweet was like, uh, are you worried? Someone tweeted to Wendy's, like, are you worried about International House of Pancakes serving burgers? She's like, well, they can't, they can't get pancake right, pancakes right. How are they going to get burgers right? <laughs> Maybe they'll be better at burgers. <laughs> but I mean, I, to change over after all these years, uh, uh, seems like a very extreme. Somebody, somebody took it over. Somebody took over marketing, or somebody took over something, and they're like, "I have an idea," and no one was paying attention in the room. <laughs> you know, I, I, I obviously like with, with like some ballpark food that you know don't donut burgers and stuff like that. Like the pancake burger seems like an obvious. What's a donut le- burger? A, a burger and a donut. Like people it, eat that. Oh yeah, I've had a waffle burger. Waffle burger. See. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, and, and you know, you, Ricky, you're, this is a good segue into what you do. You're a health and wellness coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so uh, you're, you're like a huge fan of like water and drinking your water mm. and walk, taking, getting your steps in. Big, big fan. Probably not a big fan of donut. I mean, donut burgers, I guess, if you're sharing them. But if you're. It just consum- honestly doesn't even sound appealing. <laughs> like, it, it I doesn't. love French fries, I love pizza. But like I just like can't be like oh I'm really craving like a donut burger. <laughs> oh let me have a donut burger. But can I can I uh, can I completely segue into the health and wellness thing? Sure. All right. But, We're talking but, as long as it has to do with donut burgers. Can I talk about pan? Well, it's about pancakes. Pancakes. I love sure. Pancakes. Okay. All right. Pancakes. Well, I I love pancakes. I love waffles, muffins, all that stuff. But uh, as a coach, do you agree that breakfast is not the most important meal of the day? 
No, I do not agree. You do I not do agree. agree that it is the por- most important meal oh, of the day. Oh, my goodness. Listen, yeah. I don't know that it's... I, I think there's a fine line between the most important. I think everything is important that you eat during the day. You know, you want your biggest meal to be at the beginning of the day and your smallest meal to be at the end of the day. So however you can deal and get to that point is what you should be doing. So it helps when breakfast is the biggest meal of your day. It's a good thing Joe brought boxing gloves for us. <sighs> well, the, the old saying goes, you eat like a king at breakfast, a prince at lunch, and a pauper at dinner. Yeah. General Mills made that saying. Did they? <laughs> no way. <laughs> no, they didn't. They probably did. You're making a... They, they probably did. <laughs> <Or> Kellogg <laughs> made this saying. Oh, I think it's General Mills still. They all made that saying. <laughs> they all made that saying. So, Vato, what's your position? Why Why are you... Uh, why'd you breakfast ask Breakfast is break the fast to me. So we were brought up in this... Uh, in being argumentative already, but we were brought up with this idea that breakfast is the most important meal. And what do we get for breakfast as, as kids? Everything that you have for breakfast, with the exception of just like regular eggs and bacon type thing, everything you get in the aisles that's marketed is all sugar-based, right? Pancakes are sugar-based. Waffles are sugar-based. Muffins, every freaking cereal that you have out there for kids is all sugar-based. And then... uh you know, you say, oh, you got to have this like early in the morning. It's the first thing when you wake up. It's going to give you energy, blah, blah, blah. When in reality, you really should be extending that. I think it should be extending out till 10, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock when you break the fast and <laughs> you go on. I'm a huge intermittent fasting fan. I don't practice it all the time because I drink too much. Um, <laughs> drink too much alcohol? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I. Did you think he was going to say water? I don't know. Or coffee? I don't know. He well, drinks I, coffee. He's a well, coffee drinker. I, you know, I, I I try not to eat after eight o'clock, okay. uh, unless I'm out and about. You know, whatever. You know, being a hungry dude. Uh, but I, what I've done with my kid, however, I, I leave it up to him. Now, if he wakes up and he's hungry, that's a good time to eat. You eat when you're hungry. But we were, I, in my mind, we were conditioned by the folks in marketing. Uh, for all these companies to say, hey, this is uh, you know, the biggest thing that you can have, and blah, blah, blah. And they started pushing out all this stuff when, I mean, I'm older than you, so when, way older than you, so. When <laughs> way I, older. I, considerably <laughs> older. You, I don't know, you're pretty close. Well, um, sorry, dude. I'm 34. All right, well, all right. Not that old. <laughs> way, way older than you, too. Uh, yeah, they start putting out the process stuff and this and that, and it gets mass as time goes on, but but uh, I think it's a different world now, and I think like it's who cares what they did twenty years ago? Like I think this gives you an opportunity to teach your child, hey, here's what they used to give people. Here's what you should be eating. If you're hungry, choose A, B, and C. Here's why. And, and I think Ricky, I've seen you, um, you know, in, in your posts that you, you you remind people that you eat when you're hungry, but you the more important part is stop when you're full. Right, like. It doesn't like I am. I'm not a foodie. I honestly like food to me is fuel. But I, like I eat whatever I want because like it doesn't have power over me because I always stop eating when I'm full. And I think like you find the foods that make you feel good. And if you look at food as fuel, you don't ever have to think like, should I take this last bite? Like, no, don't take a bite if it's gonna, don't take that last bite if it's going to make you feel like crap. And I think if you live by that, then you can have the things that you want to eat. And I also think timing is really big too, like the times that you eat. Yeah. So, so like a, a normal day for you, it doesn't matter what you eat, but how, how many times you eat it in a day? It's not that it doesn't matter what you eat. Like I wouldn't wake up and have a piece of pizza because food is fuel. It's all about mindset. So if I look at food as fuel, then I'm not going to wake up and have a food like that. Whereas like maybe at night before I 
for dinner, I might be like a little more lenient and like have like, you know, some pasta or something. But the the difference is that I'm having my smallest meal at dinner. So whatever I'm having at dinner, that's the smallest amount of food that I'm consuming. So I like to like have whatever I want, but I wouldn't eat that during the day because that would just screw with my brain and I wouldn't be able to concentrate. And so I'm like my whole thing is like preserve your energy. Like however you can preserve your energy is like the way that I like to be. Would you wake up and eat vegetables in the morning for breakfast? No. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what's, what's a typical breakfast? Um, well, I wake up and I drink like a really, 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 really large cup of water. It's the first thing I do. And then I'll have um, a piece of multigrain toast with a little bit of avocado and an egg. And that's it. And then, you know, it holds me on for like four hours. And If you went to a restaurant and ordered that, it'd be $22. I know. <laughs> I so wouldn't I, be ordering it. So I, I did go to a restaurant. And order avocado it's toast. Like well, it wasn't avocado toast. It's gold in the avocado. You look at the one, the recent post I made. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That at, was at, tw- folk. That was $22. No. It was. It was the add-ons. It's really? so silly. It was, yeah. It was delicious. And I couldn't eat it all because it's, for- you There know, was a lot of food there. Yeah. You for, tell by the photo. Uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I, most people that know me know I had bariatric surgery in 2015. So I have a small stomach. I Everyone loves eating with me because- they get them? they get half of oh, everything oh. I eat. That's funny. like oh, let's just wait to see what Fado's going to eat because I'm just going to take half of it. I think people feel that way about me too, and, and <laughs> they they know. So uh, I was I was like, all right, well, I'm going to try this thing. And then there was an add on for avocado. I was like, I can't pass up the healthy fats. And then there was an add on for sausage. I'm like, let's check it out. <laughs> and and there you are, twenty two dollars. You know, and it was coffee. Like... I had a cup of coffee too. Okay, cortado. It cortado. So with, yeah. that's what the cream, right? The heavy cream? No, yeah, it was no. just a dollop, but like a little bit of it. You okay, know, it was long, long, long pour espresso. But it, yeah, I think the actual meal itself was way too long. Okay, all right. But I was like, oh, it's so great <laughs> for eggs and bread. And the bread was like, I don't even know what to tell you what the bread was. It was ridiculous. It was like a sprouted, grainy. I, it was just, but I can only have a bite of it. So one of, I was listening to um, an old episode of uh, Fresh Air uh, with Anthony Bourdain the other night, the other morning, and um, he talked specifically about with Terry brunch. Gross. Yeah, with Terry Gross. Gross Fresh well, Air. It was da- uh, Dave Davies interviewed him. Oh. Not, so, but um, that's my funny thing to say is like Gross Fresh Air. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> it was a Dave Davies episode. Terry Gross. Fresh. Um, oh. So NPR <laughs> stuff. You know, NPR jokes. Yeah, <laughs> should have googled them. <laughs> um, but he he talked about brunch specifically and how much he like despised brunch and this idea I agree. that like yeah I and, literally hate brunch yeah so like the, it's the stupidest well I mean it's like like you said like tw- and not to disparage folk in any way I haven't been there I don't know I, I want them to be successful but I do too when when you can make something at home like two eggs some avocado it was and, and soft some toast, it was soft scrambled you could do that at home you could if you know yeah. how to make. Soft scrambled, right? But but what I'm ultimately like it's like a it's like a the cost of doing business for is, is very minimal, and right? They're, and they're they're sourcing. I mean, I'm uh you know I'm big on the uh you know the dirty organics and stuff like that at home, so it's expensive for me. Uh, I'm so I you know you talk about I I hop I bought I hob or whatever. Uh, I go to places and uh, my kid wants to get pancakes with uh, you know strawberries. And I'm like, oh, sorry, dude, you can't have strawberries because they're conventional. And 90% of all conventional strawberries are filled with 20 or more pesticides. I'm like, I'm not going to do that to my three-year-old. You explain it to him at the at the point of ordering? <laughs> I do. Really? I swear to God I do. Dude. He he, he absorbs it. He, he understands it. 
he understands. Oh, I thought he may absorb the pesticides. He, he absorbs the information. He absorbs the information <laughs> to the point that he knows. So I say, t- I tell him three things. I say three things that you need to be healthy and fit. I said, what are they? He goes, sleep, eating, and working out. Those are three things. That's it. About water. Water. What about eating? Water? Eating water is the same. Is, oh, is, I didn't realize is, eating <laughs> and drinking were the same thing. No, they are. Me. Eating and eating and drinking are, are combined together. Oh, interesting. Yeah, you don't think so? I don't think for most people they are. They I should think, be. I agree. But so, for being a bariatric patient, uh, I was taught you cannot eat while you're drinking, and you can't drink while you're eating. So, we were taught to hold off on any drinking. 20 minutes prior and then 20 minutes afterwards because of the cavity space that's mm. left in our stomach. So he's got a stomach the size of my stomach. So I, everything I do for him, I think about me, right? And I say, okay, we're at the dinner table, lunch table, whatever. He wants something to drink. You got to wait. You got to wait till we're done eating. When we're done eating, then you could eat or, or then you could drink. This kid has only had chocolate milk, uh, white milk, uh, juice, and water. He doesn't have anything else. And people think I'm a, a jerk for like not letting him have Slurpees and this and that. But I grew up a fat kid my whole life. Yeah. We have different views on water, but I'm what? like, uh, don't eat anything unless you drink your water. There's no space in your stomach. So I tell for you what. You. Yes. But the, my stomach, the size right, of the stomach. Right, right. So I have the size, the kid's stomach, right? So if he drinks all this water and then eats, he should throw up everything he eats because that's what I did. But and that's what everyone else who has surgery does because your stomach cannot fill. You get the water in there and it has nowhere to go until it starts processing through your intestines and whatnot. And then you put this food in and you put just a little too much food. But don't you think like it's different because like I get it. You had the surgery, but like, he didn't have the surgery. So it's like for oh. my whole thing is like the water just fills you up. So like you just eat less. Yes, but you're then go back to your brain, right? So the hormones in your brain don't signal to your stomach that you're full. So when they took out 85% of my stomach, they took out some hormones that signal to my brain that my stomach is full. Right. I'm not talking about you. I was talking about your son. Right. So he still has all those right, things right. that are growing. And so, I mean, but that's also why he can have like two chicken nuggets or, yeah, of course. or like, oh, I'm just going to have like one piece of this and all of a sudden I'm full. I don't want anything until later. Like fine, whatever. Is there any sense that, like, when you're thinking, you know, you, you mentioned that you you uh, grew up as the the fat kid or whatever. Husky. Is there any sense husky, that you, husky, whatever? Um, is there any sense that like th- these types of uh, these issues that you will pass along to him? Like, are there any type of like? No, uh, okay. no, and that's so. I uh, um, purposely did the surgery. At the time that uh, he was born, or just after he was born, because of that, so I want. I decided at that point to make a change in my life, and I'm. I didn't have. There was no. I, I know it sounds funny. Well, that's like a record skip. <laughs> uh, I know that uh, it was only a few years ago, but we didn't have uh, these kind of blogs like like yours that are coaching people and stuff like that. There was nothing out there. Mm-hmm. Even in 2014, 2015, that was telling Resources, us. Resources, yeah. Yeah, it was just far and few between. I mean, the books out there, you don't know which books to, to take on it's a lot stuff. of information. Right, so now we're, it, we're, things are a little bit easier to under. Like back in the day, we're looking at microfiche and film and looking at encyclopedias to get our information. Right. <laughs> I'm dating myself. But, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, no one knows what microfiche is. Really? 
I mean, I, I, I know like, what yes, it is. Smiled, but, you I, know. I mean, I know what it is. Wow. I'm old enough nice. to know what that is. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But, I mean, you know, I, I used to work uh, years years ago. I worked for Macomb County, and all of their documentation was on microfiche. Still, they right. they did not digitize any of it. It was all it was all microfiche. That's like it's really. I wish I had podcasts and blogs back in the day. I I, I might have been a different person growing up. But yeah. and and so Ricky, let, let's talk about your your uh, talk about break the weight. Okay. Okay. So, um, where where did it start? Yeah. So. Um Break the weight is I'm a motivational life and health coach, and I coach people to break what weighs them down physically, mentally, emotionally. And I started break the weight when I was 23. I'm 30 now. And it started really organically. I had no intention of helping anyone with changing their life. I was quite the mess. I actually was in a really bad place in my life. I lost my mother when I was 13 and suffered from depression and anxiety and eating issues. And at the time, I happened to have been enrolled in a health coaching program called Institute for Integrative Nutrition. I was like, okay, I'm in a really bad place in my life and I hate my body. I hate everything about my life, but I need to I need to educate myself because there's got to be a better way. And so I enrolled in this program and about two months after I enrolled in this program, my best friend at the time, Lulu, came to me and said, will you help me lose 150 pounds? And I said, what the, like, how the hell am I going to do that? I'm like, I literally hate myself. Like, you want me to help you? And she was like, I know you can do it. You're a world in this program. I think you would be a really good coach. And I was like, all right, I've got nothing better to do. I might as well go help someone else. So I built her a really simple daily system. And I created this program for her. And together we created this blog at what it was at the time, called Break the Weight, which is what my company is called now. And we decided to blog about the whole experience. We thought, you know what? You see so many people transform their lives, but you never really see them transform their lives, right? I mean, you look at a before and after picture. You see someone who says, you know, I've been sober for 20 years, but you're like, what happened during those 20 years? Where What, what happened before those 20 years? How did you get to where you got to? So we thought, how can we invite people onto the journey and really show them what happens when you break the weight? So she's a writer, I'm a writer, and for 290 days, we blogged. She would write, I would write, and she would weigh in every Monday for everyone, and everyone was really a part of this journey. We had this really big newsletter, and she lost 100 pounds in a year. And I think what I got from this whole experience was that she may have been 100 pounds physically overweight, but I was 100 pounds emotionally overweight, and we were both just as equally heavy. And what I realized was The weight was never just about the weight and break the weight was so much more. And after she stopped the program, you know, she went on to do her own thing. And I took this and sort of ran with it because it became this, the center of my life in the sense of where like, wow, it's never just about the weight. And like my heaviness is so much more. And maybe I have some physical heaviness and maybe you do, maybe you do, but there's always something underneath it. And I think working with her, watching her lose 100 pounds and she still didn't like who she was at the moment made me realize like it doesn't matter how light you are you can always feel heavy so i decided you know i got to really i got to run with this this was you know at the time it was like 2014 i think it was like i was like the first person to sort of be like in the health coaching stuff it wasn't a really a thing yet and you know people were like what are you doing i don't really get it and i just sort of took it and ran with it And then I turned it into an online coaching program when I moved out to Colorado in 2015. And I took this daily system that I had built for her 
And I built this program about the theories that I learned that I believed in that I thought could help change people's lives, you know, on a physical level, on a mental level, on an emotional level. And now I coach people from all over the country with this program, which is called the Breaker Program. And it's a life a change. I coach people to change their mindset. I work with a lot of people who have weight to lose, but I get them to understand that it's so much more and that the heaviness in your life is always connected to other things. And it's okay to want to look really great physically, but if you don't deal with the internal stuff, the physical doesn't stick. I think that's a really good point because I, I feel like when people get to the point of where they're sedentary, they, they don't move a lot, they, they, they um, get to feel down about themselves, mm-hmm. that 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 position um, may not have may not just be because they stopped moving. It, it, there's something that happened prior to that. There's a foundational kind of issue that you're, is that what you're trying to get after? So I think it's a little bit of both. So I think like, I'm a really big believer that motion equals emotion, move your body, move your mood. You know, I work out for anxiety and depression. I don't work out because like I want a six packs of abs, like really working out to me is medicine. So I think that they're connected. I think it's lifestyle in general. Do I think that some people need to be put on medication. I think some people have triggers. I think that some people are wired certain ways. Absolutely. But I think your lifestyle, you know, the community you surround yourself with, your job that you do, how much do you move your body throughout the day, the things you put into your body, like how could they not play a role in the heaviness in your life? So I think that like, here's how I explain it. Like you could find someone and you could put them all on all the antidepressants in the world, right? And you could give them a therapist but they could still feel so depressed. And if you ask them about their lifestyle, they'll probably tell you they don't move their body and that they don't have a big community of friends and that they hate their job. And it sounds so simple, but people underestimate the quality of life and what it really brings to someone's wellness and their mental state. And then you could find someone who has it all, right? Great body, great family, all the money in the world, and then they hang themselves. So do I think some people are wired differently? I do. Do I think that people are impulsive in their pain? Absolutely. So what do you say to someone who, let's bring it back to like the, the, the hospitality industry. If someone has, um, you know, say they're working a 12-hour day. They work from 2 p.m. to 2 a.m. And they're, they're tired for the other part of the day. They're getting up. They're just going to work. They're working 60, 70-hour weeks. And they're moving a lot. At work, Absolutely. but and they have this kind of like support system that's built in because of their job. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're also drinking heavily because of the and they're eating rich foods because of where, where they're at. And again, not disparaging our industry, but it's part of who yeah. we are as an industry. What do you say to a person like that? H- how do you get them to kind of break the daily habit of just like working and sleeping and, and like an excess? Yeah. So, you know, I'm all about small change. So I don't think you can say to someone like do A, B and C and like your whole life will change. I think you incorporate little small things. First of all, I think everyone needs an outlet out of work, right? Like everyone needs something outside of work, whether that's you like to journal, you like to go to the gym, you like to take a walk, you meet someone for lunch, you meet someone for breakfast. There has to be one thing in your day that really should not be correlated to your job. And I really do believe that because I think that that makes you feel like you have a life. And on top of that, I think that if I was someone like that and I was working these days, and listen, I have no clue what that looks like or what that feels like. So I'm just speaking from like an outside perspective, but I've worked with a lot of doctors and they work at U of M and they've got crazy hours. And I work with a lot of moms with newborns. And so I can see the sense of um, inability to take care of yourself. 
And I always tell them like 30 minutes. Give yourself, if you don't have 30 minutes, you don't have a life. I mean, truly, you get 30 minutes to yourself and you can do whatever you want with those 30 minutes. Maybe you go for a walk. Maybe you write in your journal. Maybe you work out. And that's what you do. And and it's not a lot, but 30 minutes of steps, 30 minutes of working out, 30 minutes of calling a buddy that you haven't talked to in a while, that adds value to your day. So I think like it doesn't need to be these big drastic changes. It could be something so simple, 20-minute workout in the morning. I mean, if you're starting work at 2 p.m., you got more than enough time between the time that you end and the end the time that you start again to put a 20-minute workout in. And if you and it's all about where you put your time. Like, yeah, you're exhausted, but like you're also mentally exhausted. And so and maybe that look and maybe for you that means a nap. You know, maybe that is what it means that day. I think you have to have systems in place. So you have a toolbox. But what but what if what if someone's depressed or anxious and, and can't and, and like how how do you Tell someone, first of all, you need to to tell someone that you you need to tell someone how you are feeling. The very first thing I tell people is to tell someone because there is nothing more devastating than being alone in your pain. And I think that that's the number one problem is that people are so alone in their pain and they're so ashamed and they're so embarrassed and they're so, they think like, that's so stupid. Like I have everything. I shouldn't be so upset or it's sunny out. Like I shouldn't be so upset or like. I have a great marriage. Like, why do I feel this way? And it's like, not every thought you have is rational. And that's okay, too. And I think, A, like, don't judge yourself for your thoughts. B, do not keep them to yourself. The minute you keep them to yourself, you're ashamed of them. And that's the problem is, like, people are so scared to be like, it's like no different than if someone dies and people don't go up to you and they're like, I'm so sorry. How are you? They ask you after the funeral, but six months later, they don't bring it up again. Because they're uncomfortable and people think it's not okay. And I really do believe that there are a lot of people out there suffering who just need to tell someone. And maybe it's a random person, maybe it's a therapist, but just someone who's not in the state of mind that they're in, who can say, hey, we are not in the same place. Let me help you. Because they're doing it on their own. And when you're alone in your pain, I cannot think of anything more painful what what you're getting at, and I think this is a, a massive issue, is, is like the, the kind of state of mental health, like in this country. Um, mental health is expensive. Like for, for for someone to go to a psychologist or, or or a psychiatrist, if you don't have insurance, even with insurance, is expensive. It is expensive. Yeah, and so immediately um, for for a vast majority of the population, you're talking about a very privileged kind of point of view that that someone can even go to someone as a professional, right? And and if you're working 40, 50 hours a week, you have a couple kids and you know, you're part of let's say the working poor where you're you're maybe only making even $10, $12 an hour with a couple kids isn't a lot of money. It's it's not. So, um and, and so all of a sudden you're you're being pulled a, in 50 directions and you're trying to do self-care. How do you how do you practice self-care in that situation? Baby stuff. I mean, it's really honestly like, you know, sometimes you're in survival mode. Sometimes you are in hyper speed and you're like, all I got to do is breathe today. All I got to do is walk today. All I got to do is drink my water today. But I think that if you can have a system in place for those days, you know, I tell my clients all the time, like my clients, you know, a lot of them, like I haven't followed a system, track their food, walk 10,000 steps a day, drink two liters of water. That's it. So no matter what's going on in their life, 
they follow this system. And I'm not saying that like it makes them feel a thousand percent happy, but it gives them purpose and it gives them focus. And, you know, I don't know what it's like to be in that percentile. So like, could I speak to that? No. Would I say that there are more resources today than ever? Yes. I think that just Instagram or Facebook platforms for people to write out how they feel. And listen, like, do I think that we can save every single person on the earth? No, I wish that we could. But like, there are more resources now than there have ever been. And there's more suicides now than there have ever been. So it's kind of mind blowing because there are plenty of resources. There are plenty of rich people who have hung themselves. And there are poor people who are still alive. So I think it's how much value can you put into that when you look at a situation like that? I mean, Anthony Bourdain had everything going for him. I mean, all the money in the world to have a therapist. But he hung himself. And then maybe this girl doesn't, but she's got three kids, so she knows she can't leave. And I think that's resilience. And I think that he was sick or something was going on. And, you know, pain is impulsive. I think Think about when you're like heartbroken, right? You're like, I'm going to text that person 500 times. I'm going to like, I mean, maybe it's just me, but like, <laughs> no. I'm going to go to their house. I'm going to fucking kill them. And like, I'm, they have to be with me. They have to be with me. Okay. So you're like that, right? And think about that times a hundred. That's probably how they feel. Well, and I, and I do recall like, you know, I follow you on Instagram and, and like, yeah. you were very open about, you went through a breakup recently, right? Yeah. And, um, forgive me. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm, Imagine this, but you posted something that was like, you were like crying. Oh God. This is like the most controversial post. Yeah. Well, I mean, so I'm... I was impulsed. So this is a really good example. Okay. I posted a picture of myself crying. I broke up with my boyfriend, um, March 31st and it was really hard. And our moms were college roommates and I lost my mom when I was 13. So there was a lot of stories connected to, and he's a wonderful person. I still love him. And, um, it was just, it was time. And, um, yeah, I posted a picture of myself crying and it was really controversial because, you know, he wasn't ready to like share with the world what was happening. And I sort of like, that's who I am, right? Like I like to share things. Like that's just part of my, my business and, and my brand. And, um, I posted a picture of myself crying and I look at that picture and I think like, A, that is how I felt. But I look back at that picture and I think, wow, that was impulsive pain. I was in so much pain in that moment that the only thing that made me feel better was sharing it. Had I kept it to myself, you know, I did eventually take it down out of respect for him, but I put it up and it, it made me feel like I wasn't alone. What was the reaction of the post? You said it's controversial, but like. Just like controversial in the sense of like, Ricky, like I wasn't being very mindful of the other party. Uh-huh. You know, like it wasn't my place to announce to the world that we had broken up. He's a very private person. It was not appropriate of me. So I took it down out of respect because I love him and I care for him. And I was just, I realized that I was being impulsive with my feelings and like, but I realized that what I was searching for was was validation for my feelings. Was I don't want to feel so alone. Does anyone else feel this way? Can someone else tell me it's going to be okay? Can someone else tell me they love me? So me posting that photo was like me being like, somebody hear me, right? And like, we do all have that opportunity. And like, I don't think that it was right the way that I did it, but I think the message is so clear. Like, I just wanted to be loved. I wanted someone to help me. And, and my pain was impulsive. So I think about that on a very small level. And I think about someone who's lost all their money or I think about someone who's, I don't even know. And I think about, oh my God, in that moment, I can't even imagine because I only can imagine slightly. 
you know, when I lost my mother when I was 13 and had to say bye to her and the grief and the loss, I can imagine, but I can't imagine what it felt like for those people in that moment. You mentioned, you mentioned your mother a number of times already. Was it expected? Yeah. So she was, I mean, never expected, but she was sick. She got sick when I was eight and she died when I was 13. She had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she was sick for a very long time. So, you know, she went into remission three different times and I went in and out of the hospitals. I spent my childhood in hospital. I was the only girl in my family. And um, we knew, I just say bye to her. So we knew she was going to die like five days before she died. So I, we, me and my brothers and I had to go in there separately and say our goodbyes. And, you know, I think that that's, you know, you guys have children and I don't have children. I'm sure that one day when I do, I will understand the the extent of that pain. Um but yeah, I mean, saying bye to the person who's supposed to take care of you forever that really fuck you up. Yeah, I I lost my mom in '08. Um, How did she, she die? Colon cancer, and it was very surprising because she um, we had no history of cancer in our family. Interesting. Yeah. Same. So and so this this was very surprising to us as well. They, they and colon cancer is one of those things where if you catch it early on, it was it's pretty curable. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Ca- it wasn't even caught till stage four. That's um, always the problem. Yeah. And so my, my mom had the additional kind of uh, – she kept a lot inside. Um, she wasn't very – she was kind of stoic and um, didn't get emotional very often. So this kind of feeling of something being wrong inside of her, she probably kept until the right. absolute last moment, which ended up being her demise. So she right. – they gave her uh, six months at the time of diagnosis and she ended up – living 18 months. Oh, wow. Past, so she lived 18 months total, so a year past that. Um, but she was only 50 when she passed. It's so young. My mom was 41. Yeah. So, so yeah, so, you, so young. How old are you? How old am I? 37. Oh, okay. So you were... I was 20... Uh, she thought you were like 20, in the 40, late 40s. <laughs> <laughs> this is, I'm the I court thought ju- he was 60. <laughs> I'm the court jester of the, of the... I thought you were older too, Joe. Sorry. Ooh, everyone gang up on Joe. <laughs> I'm the court jester I, of, the, uh, of the blog and the podcast. Well, it's, fu- it's funny because like th- there's this... Uh, Wait. Like, people like the... the, the Oh, get my hair done. You you thought like, I was younger than Joe. Well, no, no I definitely like, did not. But like people are always like, "Oh, do you want to get your hair colored?" I'm like, "I don't mind it being gray." It's like, "Well, why?" Yeah, embrace it. Yeah, I don't give it. I don't give a shit. Like, so wait a minute. Okay. How old were you when your mom died? Sorry to make uh, this stronger again. I'm trying to uh, trying to uh, 27. Okay, so like that's super. So I mean, it's vastly different than you it being doesn't, 13, right? But it's 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 a it's an age I wouldn't be able to. You know, it's like loss is loss, and I think like. 27, I mean, that would be me losing my mom three years ago. And I I don't know what that's like. I think, like, pain is pain. Yeah, and I think the the thing that the vast difference between, like, being 13 and being my age of 27 is, like, you begin to form a friendship with your parents past. Yeah. They're, they're, they're more than parents after a certain point, right? So, like, your parents become, like, oh, you're an adult now. I can kind of chill. I can have a drink with you. Yeah. We can we can talk about life in general, whereas like when up until like I don't even know at what point it was because it's like it's kind of like cloudy in my head. Yeah. Um, parents are parents, and like you know, it's like God damn it, I'm gonna teach you how to live your life and, and hope hope that you listen to some of what I say, not all of it, because a lot of it could be wrong, but um, or not fitting to the person that your child's becoming, right? Um. At thirteen, like there's there's hardly any information that's been passed on, and sad. I mean, and I'm sad for you for that, but like 
it's also it, loss is loss, like you said. Like, well, it, it's a huge gap. Yeah, and I also think like for to being a little girl, like first of all, like thirteen to fifteen years old are like the most pivotal years of a girl's life. You get your period, your body changes. Like that's the that's the time where like moms are the most. So like I had to go through a lot of things like not really understanding how to do them and like I had so much support and love but you know you want your mom and like it's not that there weren't I learned different lessons because my mom was sick so like there were just different I had to grow up a lot faster in a lot of ways in a lot of ways I didn't grow up because you know I I think like you know I got my period at a table of boys and had to call my aunt from a payphone so I think that there are like things that you know affect your development like my mom's loss affected the way that I developed as a human being, as a young adult, as I had relationships, as, you know, your brain isn't developed as you're a little girl or a little boy. And you actually can't process grief until you're in your 20s. So I, it was kind of mind blowing to me that I experienced this great loss that I wasn't even able to process. So I was in so much pain without even understanding it. Like I knew my mom was gone, but I didn't get it. I'm like, wait, but I don't understand. Like, Am I allowed to miss her? Like we only had 13 years together, like blah, blah, blah. So I think like, I think it's a different experience for everyone. Yeah. And, and I, and I, this kind of uh, like mood that you're conveying or this kind of like, like it comes through on your Instagram account where, where you're like, you're very open about like this kind of it's you it's very real and like you're you're obviously like processing something and maybe you're not like maybe it's not conscious but i feel like your posts are very thoughtful and real life where i think a lot of instagram posts especially for people who are influencers and i think you fall in that oh, category um influencers are very careful to not convey negativity Mm. But you embrace, and I don't mean negativity in like the sense of like you're an asshole, like telling people you're they're assholes or something. Negativity in the sense that like every day we feel thousands of emotions, and some of them are negative, some of them are positive. And your Instagram account is very focused on showing people that it's okay to feel both. Well, I think that there's something really. I think this is the biggest lesson I ever learned was that you can feel joy and pain in the same day, in the same moment. That you can allow pain as long as it's not suffering. There's a difference between being in pain and suffering. Suffering is like, fuck, why me? I'm the victim. Pain is like ebb and flow. So I'm like a very positive light person. So like I live my life, you know, I believe that like I am a survivor. I don't feel bad for myself. Like I'm strong and I'm, you know, but I also believe that like you can have a good day and you can have some pain. And it's all about what you do with the pain. It's all about how you move forward. And I think that that's the number one thing is like, who gives a shit if you had a bad day today? Like, great, have a better one tomorrow. Or like, you had a bad hour? Great, have a better hour later. Like, everything ebb and flows. And then you cannot, they're not mutually exclusive. Are you in pain or are you happy? You can do both. And I think that you have to allow like the ebb and flows of it all to sort of be but how, okay. How do you tell someone who's, severely depressed that this is the way life is i mean i think that like listen you know i've been severely depressed before and i will tell you that like when people are like it's gonna be okay i'm like go fuck yourself right because like that's the state that you're in 
I always try to remember that there's always light. And like the biggest thing that I believe, and I, and I really, in my heart, I believe that our pain is our greatest gift. I really believe that your pain is your gain if you want it to be. And I live by that. And that's really what helps me navigate through pain. So, you know, I think that there are different levels of depression. I think that it's, it would be naive for me to be like, everyone get up and like, you've got this and like, whatever. Because like, honestly, like, I don't know how everyone is feeling. So I can't speak on someone who's sick. Um, because I can imagine that in that moment, they can't see anything else. And maybe they need medication. Maybe they need therapy. Maybe they need things that like aren't as so like black and white. I know that for myself and for my clients and for my people that I help, you know, I, I have tools and I have hope. I have faith. I have, I believe, I really believe the universe. Like I know it sounds so cheesy, but like, why would someone put me on this earth to suffer? And it's a fucking choice. I have a choice. Some people don't have a choice. And I... What, what's a choice? I choose. Like, I choose to be... I choose to use my pain as my strength. I choose to wake up in the morning and help other people. I choose to go to yoga. I choose to drink more water. I choose to say yes when I want to say no. I, I make choices. And then sometimes I make bad choices. I choose to be, you know... In this relationship, I, you know, and I'm very aware of the not so great choices that I'm making, but everything is a choice, right? Like at the end of the day, like no one's putting a gun to your head saying like, dude, drink this water, or like snort up this Coke or like maybe some people are, I don't know. But like it's, I think I, I really think happiness is a choice. I think you have to make it every single day and it's, it's, or else someone's going to make it for you. But it's not just a choice because what you're saying is, is work. Yeah, it's an action. I mean, it's not just like, oh, let me be happy. It's like, go for a walk, go to the gym, drink your water, go surround yourself with community, go volunteer, go help someone else, do the things that are going to give you fulfillment. I mean, I think at the end of the day, like people want to feel fulfilled, like they have purpose. And I think the people who don't want to live anymore, you know, I heard this quote one time, I think Tony Robbins said it, he's like, success without fulfillment is the ultimate death. because. I mean, it's. I think it's been proven lately, especially. But how 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 do you tell someone who just is empty in that way? Like, how do you, how do you start feeling fulfilled? I would tell them to go volunteer. I mean, I honestly would. I dragged their ass to go volunteer. I'd say, go help someone else. I mean, that's what pulled me out. Lulu came to me and said, "I need your help." I was like, "I hate my life." She was like, "Great, come help me," and she she believed in me. I think that. She thought that I could help her. And I think that when someone believes in you, like what is more powerful than that? I think everyone needs someone on their team. So if you're depressed and I say, get your ass up, let's go, because I believe in you, some people just need to know that they're believed in. And I think when you take the focus off you and you can help someone else, you step outside of yourself. Do I think it's easy? No. Do I think like it's always fun? No. We're not in this world for ourselves. We're in this world to help other people. So I think less I, more we. So so I want to I want to shift totally. Yeah. I want to I want to shift the the discussion to water because <laughs> I, I I went out of my way. Always down to talk about water. Yeah. So I, Western Market in Ferndale, Jared Guild was a was a, a guest uh, previously, and he told me at the time that if you want bougie water, 
What's you go to Western what Western Market. So it's fancy water that's needlessly fancy. Okay. Okay. So I picked up a couple bottles today. And, at least, at um, least they're in glasses, though. The, the, w- yeah, they're w- very yeah. fancy. Not yeah, being, so, no, don't. I mean, this, this is. Yeah, that, we, we don't want water in plastic. So this we is do not. For, I agree. With that. Right. I mean, I have my plastic. You, water. <laughs> sorry. Right. No, I have plastic water. I have my water bottle home. Unless you want uh, tea. Plastic tea water, because that's what happens. What's tea water? You have a plastic bottle, the sun gets it, all of a sudden it becomes plastic tea. What? Never heard that. I mean, the water becomes like... Oh, 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 like the tasting of it? Well, the I mean, plastic leaches into the water. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Thank you, for okay. Thank you for letting us know. There's, nothing, like, there's nothing good about plastics. So, so, Should I, we try it? Except this, for is, this is called Hilt. Yeah, Wait. if you want, you can drink straight from the bottle if you okay, want. Okay, ready? Um, oh, so this is called Hilden. So drunk off water. Chug, <laughs> chug. Um, this is a, this is a, a fancy English water from from maybe from the English Channel. I don't know. Tastes oh, so not. English. It tastes like water, right? If I can interject um, really quick, does the Queen drink that? <laughs> uh, I believe the website is findaspring.com for anyone listening throughout the states. <laughs> <laughs> you can find your own spring water. You can bottle your own spring water. Findaspring.com. Uh, so right. the, the the larger question that I want to ask because I'm I'm a huge fan of sparkling water. That one sparkling Vichy Catalan. I'm. <laughs> is there salt in that water? Yeah, there is. Oh, well, I mean, it's I don't mean to be rude, mineral but... water, but yeah, I I really like this. Oh wow! So you could definitely have all of that. <laughs> um, Keep it to yourself. So. so Here's what? and you're drinking Perrier. I'm yeah. a fan. I'm a fan. A sp- yeah. What I want to know, real quick. Yeah. Sparkling or still? still. Sparkling. Sparkling. Still. All day. Well, I'll drink it's still any. For you, you can't drink still sparkling all day. Mato. I'll drink any, but, but I, listen, water is water. But not this water. What the hell? That was <laughs> not that water. The gases <laughs> of sparkling anything carbonated <laughs> fills your stomach yeah, cavity. I know. Sorry. <laughs> Don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. But you said sparkling, so well. I mean, listen, that. I'll drink anything, but sparkling is my jam. All right. So, Ricky, where can people find you? I am breaktheweight.com and my Instagram is breaktheway underscore. My name is Ricky Friedman, and yeah, if you need any help changing your lifestyle, I'm here. Thank you so much. Thank for being you with guys us, Ricky. for having awesome. me. Thank until, you. Until next time, friends. <laughs> <laughs>